Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! After uh, the last few years that we've had with the pandemic and the work stoppage, events like these going into the season were very difficult to hold. And so we wanted to reignite that and get back in front of our fans, and in particular the ones who have been so loyal to us throughout the years and our season ticket holders, and make sure they really had an opportunity to get back together with our players, our coaches, and have an opportunity to get autographs, to say hello, and just uh, re-engage with the brand. So we're really excited to have them out here today. One thing that stands out is they're really excited about the season. They're excited about the moves we made. They're excited about our young group of players and the fact that they're coming out on a, a Saturday in January in, in such force. It's something that really makes me smile and gets me excited for uh, Pirates baseball this year. Excited, man. It's, it's uh, good. It's kind of like a kid in the candy store again, you know, being back and being so excited and, uh, you know, the fans you know giving me that energy to just come back and just interact with them all has been great so you know, everyone's excited I'm excited yeah it's nice to just be back and come back and, and see some familiar faces and, um, and see some people who are just as excited as I am. You are listening to the 412 Double Play Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 33 of the 412 Double Play Podcast. Different intro, new logo up, but most of the same people. I am your host, Michael Castrogano. Joining me this week, my co-host, Ed Wassel, as usual, but special guest this week, former Pirates pitcher, current color analyst for Bucks Games with AT&T Sports, Matt Caps. Welcome and thank you for joining on with us today. How are you doing? My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm doing pretty good. Good. Uh, have you been keeping up with the Pirates offseason? Been a bit, I think, busier than usual. I have been. Um, as much as I can from afar, I live down here in Atlanta where it's just a touch warmer than it is up there in the Berg. But uh, it was 29 degrees this morning when I got out on a Little League baseball field this morning at 9 a.m. So Jeez. it's feeling a little... Uh, Pittsburgh-esque down here the last couple of weeks, but I have. There's a lot of exciting things going on up there. Um, you know, Carlos Santana was a former teammate of mine in in Cleveland. Uh, I was real excited to see him come over, and um, I think the impact he can have in the clubhouse could be tremendous. Uh, but that has been a little bit overshadowed here in the last, call it week, week and a half. <laughs> yeah, another former McCutcheon. teammate of yours. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. you guys had a little bit of overlap. He came up to Pittsburgh in uh, 2009. So his rookie season, um, that was your last year in the Berg. What 
specifically do you remember about his rookie year and like how his um, like approach mentality uh, has changed in the, you know, almost 15 years since then? Uh, well, he's, he's not the, what, 21, 22 year old rookie that he was in 2009 and kind of the maturation of, of guys at the big level. It's a, it's something that's fun to watch. Um, I saw it from afar, you know, when I left Pittsburgh, it, not something I wanted to do. I, I, you know, wanted to retire. I wanted to play my whole career, like like most guys, and the team that gives you the, the uniform of the team that gives you the opportunity. But it's just not the way the game is set up. Um, <clears throat> so I, I followed Pittsburgh after I left very closely. Um, you know, followed Kutch. I, I, just the maturity of him when he got to the big leagues, and uh, even when he came, when we drafted him. Uh, in the first round, I don't remember what year that was, 2005, I think, uh, when when we drafted him. And I remember being in Brayton when they brought him in for a pre-draft workout. And you see this, you know, smaller stature, um, skinny high school kid, and the ball, the ball's just jumping off his bat. You're like, you know, it's, it's real. Uh, it just – Sounds different coming off some guys' bats, and and Andrew uh, McCutcheon had that as a high school kid. Uh, to the ear of to my ear, um, who had been in pro ball for a couple of years, it just sounded different. And there was something about it. He knew he was going to be special. Um, <clears throat> I also remember 2009. You know, Nate McLeod was a big part of that team and a big part of the clubhouse. A guy that was well respected and very well liked and. Uh, when he was traded to Atlanta, that opened the opportunity, uh, opened the door, if you will, for Cuts to make it to the big leagues. And uh, I don't remember who said it, uh, but I remember one of the coaches, you know, some guys was talking about, you know, Nate being uh, such a solid piece of the outfield puzzle for us. And, you know, why would the organization want to do that? And you know, I think it was Gary Varsho uh, said, well, we're bringing up somebody that we think is going to be better. Uh, and that was, that was Andrew McCutcheon. Yeah. Which McLeod was no slouch when he was with the team, but. Oh, Nate was a great ball player. All-star, yeah. great, great clubhouse guy. Uh, I don't know that I've ever met anybody in my life that didn't like Nate McLeod. So. Cool. So the winter warm-up was today in PNC Park. Obviously you weren't there. You're. Uh, back on the mound at Little League Fields, mowing down eight-year-olds. But um, what – because, like, you know, Brownie was there, Walk was there, um, and then obviously some current and former players, Walker, Blass, Kutch, um, Canans, um, let's see, Smith and Jigbo was there. Um, what can you tell me about, like, if there was any specific message that they were trying to do with that? Because obviously they didn't have – the Pirates Fest this year, they didn't do, like, a winter caravan. It felt like this was kind of their, like, return to having an in-person winter event for the season ticket holders. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, you know, the Pirate Fest and the caravan and, and things like that, those are things that I always enjoyed as a player. And uh, now being a part of the broadcast team and in the booth, uh, that's something I look forward to uh, in years to come is the opportunity to uh, – call me crazy i enjoyed getting on a bus for a week and going to different towns and signing autographs at, a, at malls and meeting people and uh just being on the road i, I always kind of like that so 
I hope that's something they get back to. Um, I don't know what the specific message is from the organization or, or um, the reason why they wanted to do this, uh, the winter warm-up, but I'm glad they did. Um, I will tell you, I've talked to a lot of people, a lot of the names that you just mentioned, um, and there's a buzz around the organization. There's a buzz inside the organization. Um, you know, they, they went out and did some things this offseason that kind of send the message that, hey, we're ready to turn this corner and um, get this ship headed in the right direction. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's up to the guys to go out and play uh, and, and win ball games. But I, I think Ben Charrington in the front office and uh, ownership has, has done a nice job of providing the resources of, of going out and, and getting some pieces that we need. And hopefully it's the, the tip of the spear. It definitely seems like a different atmosphere. Obviously, I feel like there's a lot of goodwill that's being repaired by bringing Kutch back, but also the other additions with um, Troy, Santana, uh, some of the pitchers like Rich Hill. I feel like, you know, it's bringing in this veteran leadership, but also guys who are still very talented and can bring a lot of value for their positions. Um, so I, I feel like, at least from my experience on speaking with people on social media, even the more pessimistic fans seem to be kind of veering to, like, this team's not going to lose 100 games again, which I know that's not the only uh, option that we really want to be doing, but it definitely seems like we're moving into contention. Um, and with the addition of the extra wild card potentially they could be in the playoff hunt. Yeah, you hope so. I mean, that's certainly not the bar that you want to set going into spring training. Hey, we don't want to lose 100 games. Um, yeah, you want to put a competitive product out there. And I, I think I read a, a quote from Kutch. Like, you know, it was 2013-14. They, they kind of flipped. They lost 100 games, and then the next year they almost win 100 games. And, um, you know, it can happen. I, I grew up here in Atlanta. Uh, in the late 80s was a young boy in early 90s and saw the worst the first. Um, it was kind of on the other side of the Sid Bream slide. I was excited about it. Um, You're not invited back. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm not making any friends here. I, I know that. Um, <laughs> but I'm, believe me, I'm black and gold now, not blue and red. Um, mm. not, I've been on the other side of that fence. So, um it can happen. It, it can happen. Um, you know, do they have all the pieces now? I don't know. I, I don't know that I can say yes, they do. I don't think that I can say no, they don't. I mean, um, what Mitch Keller did last year uh, after he started to, to sink the ball and kind of the maturation of him on the mound. Uh, Rich Phil, I love that pickup. Uh, Rich was a, a teammate of mine in Cleveland also with Santana. I got to know Rich really well. Um, I think he's going to be a great piece. Um, you know, you look at his numbers and his production, what he's done the last eight, nine, ten years. I mean, he's right there at the top of it. Everybody in baseball uh, and kind of flying under the radar. Um, he's 43 years old. Uh, I'm 39 years old. I know how my body feels. I can't imagine how his body feels <laughs> and how it's going to feel for 162 <laughs> games. But you know what? He's doing it. He's still got good good bite on his breaking ball. Um 
But the best thing about Rich Hill is, is he's not a guy that takes himself too seriously. Um, he's going to keep it loose. He's going to show guys. And, and I think this is important for young guys, especially young pitchers. You're going to have ups and downs. And, you know, when you have a bad game, you've got to learn. You've got to know how to put it behind you, put it in the rearview mirror, and, uh, and learn from it and move on, especially relievers, guys in the bullpen. You can have a bad night tonight, and then the game's on the line tomorrow, and you got a job to do. you got to go out and get it done. and That's a lot easier said than done. I've done it. I've been there. I've been on both sides of it where, you know, giving it up, and then the next, not, the next night I'm praying that the phone doesn't ring and, hey, get caps going. Um, <laughs> you know, but that's that's just part of growing up in the big leagues. And, um, yeah, I think Rich and, and talking to, to guys around him, I think he can help that and can kind of show that. You know, hey, what's done is done. What's in the past is in the past. We've, we've got a job to do right now. Uh, whatever you did yesterday, it doesn't matter. Uh, go out, execute a pitch. And if you execute a pitch more times than not, you're, you're going to be successful. Yeah, you, you hear a lot in uh, other sports about, like, short-term memory loss. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, whether you just threw an interception or you just gave up that home run, it, it's over. You can't dwell on it. you got to forget about it and just keep moving forward. And I Ted think Lasso. that's a lot easier with uh, yes. I think it's a lot easier with uh, you know a veteran player, a veteran pitcher, to to understand that. Maybe he can pass that on to some of the younger guys. Yeah, I, I hope so. You know, and like I said, that's easier said than done. That's um, almost something you have to like live through or or be shown how to. I don't know how to describe it. it it's tough. It's tough, but having somebody that's been through it <clears throat> and done it as long as Rich Hill has done it to have him around some of these guys, I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. So hot news this week. No roster moves for the Bucks. They started to settle in for spring training, kicking in in a couple weeks, but there's plenty going on around baseball. Wednesday night was the announcement of Hall of Fame ballot results. Scott Rowland joining Crime Dog Fred McGriff, unanimously elected by the Contemporary Era Committee last month. So they're both going to the 2023 Hall of Fame class. We'll get back to that in a second. But Thursday night, MLB Pipeline released their top 100 prospects. So going into the season, they uh, Pirates have four prospects appear on the list. 2022 draft pick Tamar Johnson, 26, catcher and 2022 helium prospect. Andy Rodriguez was 55. 21, number one overall pick, Henry Davis. Uh, he was there at 57. And 2019 first-round pick, Quinn Priester at 60. So, Caps, I want to start off with the uh, prospects portion. The team has been in a rebuild the past two years. They netted some high draft picks, some interesting pieces and trades. But now we're seeing 2020 first-rounder Nick Gonzalez drop off the rankings, as did Leo Verpaguero. Uh, famously part of the Starling Marte trade we saw briefly last season in Pittsburgh. Is there any reason for Pirates fans to be concerned about these guys dropping off the rankings, or <clears throat> is there much real real value to the rankings overall? Um, there is some value. Um, you know, people see this, and uh, their whole job revolves around watching the minor leagues and watching what guys do. Uh, with that being said, you know, what did you say Tamar Johnson was? 26. <clears throat> Number 26. He was drafted last year. He got how many at-bats in pro ball? Um, not that I'm not excited about Tamar. He's a Georgia kid. I've heard about him for a couple of years. Um, I was going to ask some more follow-up no, questions about him. Yeah. no. <laughs> he's he's the number one ranked prospect at second base. 
Yeah, which or MLB pipeline. Maybe he deserves it. Um, I, I, I'm even hesitant to talk about this because I, I think he's going to be a really good player, and I hope he's a really good player. I hope he turns out to be a really good player. I hope he turns out to be the next Scott Rowland to, to get into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> uh, but my point is, is um, <clears throat> he's 20, he's a 26 ranked prospect, and he hasn't played Double A baseball. He hasn't played Triple A baseball. Um, you know, he's got that ranking because he was drafted as high as he is, and you know, he's had a little bit of success in, in a short span. Um, you know, Piguero, Lyover Piguero. Uh, he's a prime example. He had a bad year. Um, you know, we've heard about him for a couple of years coming over from Arizona, right? Um, in the Starlin Marte trade, like you mentioned, um, he's a guy that last spring training, a lot of people just raved about him. Um, you know, and you never know what a guy's going through in his personal life or, you know, off the field struggles on the field, you know, was he struggling with something this year for the first time in his life and, you know, just couldn't get over it. And, you know, watch Piguero show up to spring training this year and have a lights out year, make it to the big leagues or, you know, get back on that list or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, those prospect lists can't be the end all be all. Is there value in them? Absolutely. Yes. At the end of the day, baseball is absolutely a, what have you done for me lately kind of sport. Um, you know, and those guys that you mentioned, Nick Gonzalez, Piguero, um, the ball's in their court. Go out, play, perform, and you're back on it or you're in the big leagues. You know, once you once you get to the big leagues, you're in the big leagues. A big league pitcher doesn't care if you're the number one prospect in all of baseball or, you know, the 26th man on a roster. Um, you're holding a bat in the batter's box, and you're going to get the best stuff they got. Um you just gotta guys gotta pick the ball up, go out and compete. They gotta pick the bat up, go out and compete, and day in, day out. Um, yeah, I think the exciting part is how many names did you rattle off that are on the top hundred for the Pirates? Five, four, four. Piper, I think the sixth most. Yeah, so I mean that's exciting. You got four guys in the top one hundred. Uh, two guys that that had been on the top one hundred that now aren't. So you got six guys that. Uh, have been recognized in the last year and a half, two years as top 100 prospects. That's yeah. pretty cool. And that's not even including uh, Luis Ortiz, who is not also uh, not part of that 100. And and you've got a young major league roster. You know, so you so you got a lot of youth that has the opportunity to get to the big leagues and be in the big leagues together and gel and grow and um, and be under team control. Yeah, I mean, we're very excited about them and the prospects. Um, going back to some like older former players, Scott Rowland, adversary of yours from back in your playing days, getting the call to Cooperstown. We're originally from the Wilkes-Barre area, and I vaguely remember seeing him play when he came up with the Phillies organization, uh, then in Scranton Wilkes-Barre Red Barons back in 96. What can you tell us about your experience facing him in the big leagues, kind of going in a different non-Pirates-related direction here? Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure I faced him uh, several times. You did. I, I I don't know if you've looked up my numbers <laughs> or if you have them. Um, if you want it, me to tell you, I can. It, let me let me tell my story and then you can tell. Me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I I only remember one. Um, I do remember him being very imposing in the box. Scott Rowland is sneaky, sneaky big. He's just a big person. 
Um, <clears throat> but he's so agile and he was so good at third base. I think it really just kind of snuck up on me, like when he was in the box or the first time I got close to him. My gosh, that's just a big man. Um, but I hung a slider to him in Pittsburgh. It was a day game. I remember that. Uh, I think it was against the Cardinals, and he hit a double. Uh, I believe it was a double down the left field line uh, that tied the game. Uh, so was he one for one against me? So I have that he was four for nine with two home runs, a walk, oh, yeah, and you struck him out twice. So, I mean, like, you beat him more than he beat you, but I think. He's he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> he's, in, he's in the Matt Capps Hall of Fame. Four, four for nine with two homers. Wow. So it was almost 500 with two bombs. And and the one and it's funny the one I remember was a double so he was probably four for nine with two homers. And the home runs are probably like solo shots and garbage time or something. It's like whatever. And 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 Cincinnati likely probably yeah. cheap, you know. Just, yeah, he just padding his stats. Yeah. Super nice guy. Um, happy for him. Uh, wish he was zero for nine uh, with seven strikeouts, but super happy he's in the Hall of Fame. You have to stick with the little leaguers right now. But um, <laughs> so you I can't, the, I can't you even get them out. Oh yeah, not, not, not right, not right now. The little right. leaguers are crushing the ball off of me. Are you coaching or just your kids on the team? Uh, both, both. Okay. So my son, yeah, my son will turn eleven, uh, end of next week, February eighth, so a couple of weeks, and uh, I'm coaching his team. And then you know we've got a little program around here. We have twelve teams that we kind of help out and, and do stuff with, but. Man, that's awesome. So yeah, you joined awesome. you joined the broadcast booth in 2021, along with uh, Walker, KY, Fort was there a couple times. So it's more of like a modern Bucks movement because we had Blast for years. Uh, Teak was there in the post game show. But for you personally, what was the transition like going from playing baseball to commentating on it? Now that you're a few years in, you've gotten kind of uh, comfortable with that. Well, I appreciate you saying I've gotten comfortable. I guess that means I, I, I sound like I've gotten a little more comfortable. Um, it can be uncomfortable. It can be intimidating. And you hear everything you say and you're thinking, what are you going to say? What's it going to come off like? And, um, you know, there's definitely a transition period to, to get comfortable in the booth. Um, but, I, I mean, I've been retired. I, I guess I never really officially retired. Um so does that that's why you haven't of, gotten that Hall of Fame yet. Did, does my Hall of Fame clock <laughs> has it not started yet? That's um, the reason. Yeah, I. So when I when I made the decision that I was done playing, uh, it was April of 2017. So I'd been done for a while, um, you know. And my story's not a, not a whole lot unlike a lot of other guys that you read about. I was bitter at the game, bitter at how my career ended. It didn't end the way I wanted it to end. Um, you know, injury obviously took the ball out of my hands, and uh, I went as far as I could uh, away from baseball, and I really and truly fell back in love with it through my son, who was seven at the time, and and him playing and watching him enjoy it. <clears throat> and then a couple of coaching opportunities came about, and the broadcasting thing came completely out of the blue. Um, Mark Garda called me. I guess it was 2020 or 2019 um, and asked me if I'd have interest in, in doing the pregame posting stuff. And I, I flew to Pittsburgh. I did a little um, 
audition type thing and uh, thought I did really, really good at it, felt good at it, uh, and they hired Michael McHenry. So, uh, <laughs> so the, the, the fort is so much fun to watch. In the he's, he's just got yeah. that, like, almost childlike energy. He does. He's awesome, and and he is so good. Uh, I I really enjoy watching him when I'm when I'm here watching him do the the pre and post stuff and the energy he brings to the show. And that's not an easy job. Um, I think being in the booth is way easier than the pre game post game stuff. But uh, Fort does it really well, and you know I I wasn't really sure that I could commit. Actually, I knew I couldn't commit to a hundred and sixty games a year. Um, so I, as the years have gone by and, you know, doors have opened and opportunities uh, have presented themselves, I've, I'm open to doing more games. Um, I've got almost 50 games this year. Uh, excited about it. You know, excited to watch a, a product on the field that, that we're proud of and, and uh, is going to be fun to watch. Uh, Greg Brown is unbelievable. Joe Block is unbelievable. Both of those guys make my job uh, and Neil's job and KY's job and Bob and um, and Rock. I mean, they make it so easy on all of us. So it's something I'm enjoying. It's something that uh, I can see myself doing for a long time if the opportunity is there and presents itself. Yeah. Well, I really enjoy it. Uh, I actually tweeted at you. Last summer, I think you, where was it? It was like Milwaukee or something. And, uh, you guys had Robbie get you food. And I was like, man, <laughs> that's, that's the reason why you do the job to have that's Robbie right. get you guys like fries <laughs> or something. And you're like, yep. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that must have let, been in, in Miami. That was in Miami when he brought us like the Cuban fries or something like that. It may have been that. I don't know. I, I have to I'm go back and sure look. it was. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. Uh, do you? Ha- I think I read that Brownie prefers video because then he could talk more about like other stuff rather than like the play-by-play, uh, as opposed to radio. Do you have a preference between doing the video and radio? Um, I don't know that I have a preference. I mean, there. I think radio is probably a little bit easier for the color guy. Um, but it, but I enjoy them both equally. I, I I really do. You can you can have more fun. Uh, on TV because when there's downtime, uh, you can do fun things like Robbie bringing you French fries or yep. potato chips. Or we were in Atlanta and he brought me that championship burger that was like Kobe beef. And what, pe- what people didn't realize about it was there was the Kobe beef mix. I don't even am I saying that right? I don't know. Uh, Kobe, my wife, my wife's over here in the background yelling Kobe beef. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I just know it tastes good. But the most unbelievable thing about that burger is they took the bun, the brioche. Jen, how do you say the bun? The brioche bun. See, see there you go. I need some help. Maybe the we should brioche. have Jen on here. Jeez. Jen can come on. They take like that brioche burger and they hollow out the top of it and they put a lobster tail inside of it. And it was incredible. So you can't, you can't do stuff like that on radio. Um, yeah. You know, cause, and have Robbie pay for it. Exactly. But <laughs> the the biggest problem is I can't explain how good it tastes while my mouth is full. You know, like if we're on TV, I'm taking a big bite of it and I'm making facial expressions and raising my eyebrows and people. The viewer is like, ah, it looks, looks like Caps is really enjoying his meal there. 
Um, can't do that on radio, but they're both fun. Uh, radio, you can tell stories, as you guys have figured out. I kind of like to talk. Uh, can get long-winded. You know, you're allowed to do that when there's downtime in radio. That's good. Man, I appreciate it. I've, uh, we've been loving hearing you on the broadcast. Uh, I feel like all, like, having Walker back, uh, Fort Worth post-game stuff, It's it's been fun seeing guys that, like, we grew up watching play now in the broadcast booth. And we watched uh, Walk, I guess, a little bit back in the day, but um, you guys are a little bit more modern for us. You guys must be older than me. No, we're younger. <laughs> Ed got that one, didn't he? You knew where I was going with that. Yeah. Um, so the special this week, we're diving into the Bucks bullpen. Hasn't been the dynamic shark tank that bolstered the Pirates to playoffs in three straight seasons. Last few seasons, it's been a lot of uh, like a carousel of waiver claims, farmhand call-ups, but looks like that's changing this year. Depth has certainly improved. This offseason included acquisitions of Southpaw's Harlan Garcia and Jose Hernandez, who's a Rule 5 pick, as well as a rare in-division trade of Kevin Newman for righty Dowry Moretta. So, Caps, what are your thoughts on these moves this offseason with regards to the relief pitching core and how you foresee, like, opening day bullpen? Um, I don't know that I can make a prediction on the opening day bullpen. Um, I like power arms in the bullpen, and, and you've got some power arms. Uh, obviously, Bednar, anchor in the back end. Um, some guys I like. I, I think Will Crow uh, has as good a stuff as anybody. Um, I think we saw Will Crow kind of take a little dip there in August, September last year, uh, which was probably a cause of how he was used early in the year. Um, you know, you saw him – Two innings, three innings, three innings, two innings, three innings. Just seemed like every time he came into pitch, he was throwing two or three innings. Um, and then he finished with how many how many appearances on the year? I don't remember off the top of my head, but I mean, uh, he left seven. the team. I know that much. Yeah, you know, and um, w- when you see a reliever like that that leads a team in appearances out of the bullpen, and they've got more innings pitched than appearances um, by a significant number. That's hard. It's hard on the body. Uh, so I think that was a big cause for kind of the slump there at the end of the year that we saw him go through under the velocity of down and things like that. But um, if he's used in a more consistent basis, um, I think we're going to see his stuff kind of stay consistent uh, as well. Uh, Dwayne Underwood Jr. is a guy that I talked a lot about when he came into pitch. Um, stuff is there. like it a lot. I don't know where he fits. I'm not privy to those conversations and things like that. He's just a guy that I personally really like uh, stuff-wise. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the three guys that um, that you mentioned and the moves that that are made that have been made. I look forward to seeing them in spring training. Um, I haven't read a whole lot about them. I'm not really prepared to talk about them. I will be in a couple of months. I figured. Um, yeah. <laughs> Crow was uh, 60 games, 76 innings. See, so it was, um, it was a, a lot for him. Yeah, and, you know, 76 innings. And um, <clears throat> how many times did he come in in the ninth inning and, and have a bad one and not, not even have a full inning? So, you know, that just kind of speaks to the workload that I was talking about and how he was used. It's That's hard physically on a guy, and especially a guy that, 
um, was was getting used to the to the bullpen. I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but he came into spring training kind of looking at maybe he's going to be a starter, maybe he's a reliever, right? I can't remember what I had for dinner, let alone spring training last year. So. Crow was potentially, I think he was kind of moved to the bullpen back in 21, and then um, the guys who were fighting for bullpen spots were like Bryce Wilson, Zach Thompson, but they're obviously not in the picture now for this team. Yeah, yeah. So, gotcha. yeah, so we're trying to figure out, Ed, did you come up with a list of who you think is going to be bullpen? It's all hypothetical because I feel like spring training really kind of pulls it out, but based on, like, options and stuff like that, what your list is? No, I, I didn't actually get a list put together. I was ill-prepared. All right. Well, I have – so we talked to uh, Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette a couple weeks ago. So I have a list based on having five starting pitchers and six starting pitchers. So I'm going to give my list, and then I want to get your uh, – capture your thoughts on if – there's been any talk about a six-man rotation to potentially start the year. So I've got Bednar, Crow, Underwood, Tyler Stevenson recently tendered arbitration. Chase DeYoung had a surprisingly good year last year. Um, the Southpaws, Hernandez and Garcia. And then Colin Holderman, we've been hearing a lot of really good stuff about him. He was the um, trade piece last year um, for Bogey, came over from the Mets, injured for most of the you know, rest of the year with us. But we, when we talked to Mackey a couple of weeks ago, he said that in conversations with pitching coach Oscar Marine, it's possible that they're going to go with a six-man rotation because of how much they value Oviedo and wanting to keep him up there. Have you heard anything about that? Do they keep you pretty much in the dark? Nope. Nope. Lights are out with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't heard anything about a six-man rotation. You know what? I, I can see how that might make sense, uh, you know, especially with guys that they may want to limit innings with. Um, six-man rotation could make sense. The, the downside of that is guys are such creatures of habit, uh, and they're used to throwing every fifth day. You know, now we're going to interrupt that. But um, they haven't asked my opinion yet, so I'll keep it to myself and, well, between the three of us. Um <laughs> But you said another name uh, for the bullpen there that I really like, and that's Chase DeYoung, um, how that guy towed the rubber last year in many different kinds of situations. Um, he's what we call a foxhole guy. He's he's just a guy that I want to go to war with. And, um, I think he's got the opportunity to, to kind of break out and, and really be a, a big piece of that puzzle uh, in the bullpen as well. Can fill multiple roles, can give you multiple innings, can you know, he stepped in and pitched in safe situations for us last year um, <clears throat> when he had to. So you gotta like you gotta love a guy um, on, on your team and on your club that's willing to just take the ball anytime. Um, so he, he's another guy that. I, I should have said when we were talking about bullpen guys a minute ago, and I went off on a tangent talking about other things. So it's all right. Still trying to figure out how to say brioche. Um, uh, De Young, seems like kind of a grinder. He doesn't have like the stuff of someone like, say, De Los Santos, who's got a really nice two seamer, or Ramirez, Johan Ramirez. Um, both of those guys obviously have options, so I've got them slated for the bullpen, uh, the bullpen in Indy. But there's a number of guys who we didn't name who could be contending for bullpen spots. 
Are there any specific pitchers we haven't talked about who you're excited to see in spring training? Um, you know, the, the thing that excites me the most about going to spring training is, is seeing the, those guys that you don't know about. Um, those are the fun ones for me uh, and kind of project out two or three years. You know, who's, who's kind of been flying under the radar, um, you know, guys that, that maybe you're coming in on non-roster invites here the next couple of weeks before spring training happens that have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and have something to prove to, to get back or it's their last chance, uh, you know, the 27, 28-year-old career minor leaguer that it's, it's their last shot, last hoorah. Uh, those are the fun guys to watch in spring training because they kind of have that little bit of a um, little bit of grit to them, uh, but also the young prospects. Um, first major league spring training game I pitched in was in 2005. I don't remember what number I had on, but it was a very high one. I uh, didn't have a name on the back of my shirt and got an opportunity to come in and pitch a little bit. And, you know, I, I like seeing guys like that that maybe haven't broken out of a ball that are going to be there to get an out or two. Uh, in a spring training game, and you can kind of see their stuff. You can see how they're going to handle that situation. That's fun for me, too. <clears throat> so going back to your time in the, in the bullpen, ha- has there ever been a time, you know, phone rings, you're up, you're warming up, and, you know, that day you just don't have your stuff? Have you ever <laughs> been like, you know, not today, or is it, all right, I got to figure out a way around this? You know what's funny? Um, those days that you're in the bullpen and you just don't have your stuff, uh, you don't feel it, something hurts, can't hit the broadside of a barn with a pitch, uh, those tend to be the best outings. Um, it, <laughs> I don't know why it is. Uh, days that I've thrown in the bullpen and the bullpen catcher hasn't had to move their glove. The glove's popping. Your stuff's sharp. It's crisp. Um, some of those are the are the tough ones uh, where you struggle or, you know, you kind of have to grind through an outing. So I don't know if it's a mental thing or if it was just a thing with me or if it was coincidental or it's just how my brain remembers it. But I, I do remember some times in the bullpen where – the inning would end or the manager would come up and raise his arm and say, hey, give me that guy. Uh, and it's like, oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, I mean, i got to throw the rosin bag up there. I'm not going to – this is going to be bad. Um, and something clicks while you're on the mound. Maybe, it, you know, you stay within yourself. You don't try to do too much. Uh, and then the flip side of it, you're locked in in the bullpen, and then something changes when you get out there. You try to – it's just human nature. If I'm throwing the ball 95 miles an hour and hitting my spot, there's something in me that says, you know what, I can throw at 96 and hit my spot. And then you get outside of your mechanics and you miss and typically miss up and over the plate, and that's not a good thing in the big leagues. Um, I don't know. Did I answer your question or did I just ramble? <laughs> a little of both, <laughs> no, I, I think. Answered it. <laughs> days, days where you don't have your stuff, you just come out like Doc Ellis and start hitting guys. Yeah, yeah, why not? And, why? and there's, va- there's value in that, especially when you throw hard. <laughs> Just smoke somebody, and everybody in the dugout sees it, and they're like, "All right, he doesn't have it today. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't dig in too much." It's fine. <laughs> Just go up and and cringe. Yeah. Uh, so recent international signing, Jun Siok Shim. He's in Pittsburgh until I think I read uh, Thursday. Did the whole signing photo op 
uh, all that stuff. He seems like 18, pretty developed repertoire for his age and for an international signing. Usually we go with like 16, 17-year-olds. Do you, have you heard anything about him? Have you seen any of his like pitching? No, I haven't seen anything yet. What, what did I read though? He's got like five pitches. You talked about a repertoire. Doesn't he have like five pitches? He, he has four, potentially five. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is the fifth pitch? You got, you got fastball, slider, changeup, curveball, split. Potentially like a gyro ball. I think that's used a lot over in like Asian countries like Korea, South Korea. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of like turning the changeup over, right? So um, who who was the, the big gyro news? Uh, Daisuke, Matsuzaka, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was the big gyro, yeah, the big gyro um, stuff. I, I don't know how to throw one. Um, but the fact that I don't know how to throw one probably speaks that most guys that are, are stateside and are hitting – haven't seen a whole lot of them, so that's certainly an advantage for him. Uh, anytime you can have something that guys uh, that you're facing haven't seen a whole lot of, you've you've already got the card stacked in your favor. Yeah, I think it's really exciting the number of international prospects that the Pirates have targeted in recent years. Um, we're on the cusp of doing our preseason top 30, and I know that there's a number of guys who have been under consideration last year, the signings of Tony Blanco Jr., and uh, who was it, Jordani De Los Santos, the year before that. We had Jalen Blanco, we've had Po Yu Chen, um, Shang-Chi Chang, um, a lot of international players that they've been investing in, and we certainly seem like a lot of that come to fruition in the big leagues. Uh, we, we've spoken in the past about that. O'Neill Cruz, obviously, is from Dominican Republic. was a trade, but Rodolfo Castro uh, in previous years, guys like Marte, uh, Gregory Polanco, uh, Rowanzi Contreras, I think, was DR as well. Um, it, organizationally, to the best of your knowledge, because I, I feel like maybe they keep you in the dark a bit, but is the emphasis being more placed on that, or is this like the third tier with, you know, drafting guys, trades and free agency, international, and that's kind of like equally trying to use that as like a three-pronged approach? Um, I think a three-pronged approach is probably the best way to to look at it. Um, you know, we're, we're a small market team, so you have to look at where you're going to spend resources uh, you know, scouts, you've got to have good scouts. We've got to draft well to to be successful, at least to have su- uh, sustained uh, success. We have to draft well. Uh, then we have to develop. We have to have guys in the minor leagues that can teach and can coach. Um, <clears throat> going back to the scouting side of it, um I've actually thought about this. Like, like when you think about the Pittsburgh Pirates franchise, uh, what's what's a real source or kind of piece of pride for the Pittsburgh Pirates? Uh, it's Roberto Clemente, um, you know, and it transcends Pittsburgh. Uh, it, it's all the baseball. Um, and uh, the Latin baseball culture, um, 
even though he hasn't been around for a long time, he obviously hasn't played for a long, long time. Uh, his legacy lives on, and he impacts uh, what a lot of little boys in, in the Dominican, Puerto Rico, especially Venezuela, they can relate to Roberto Clemente. Um, and, you know, their dads and granddads are telling them stories about Roberto Clemente, and they all have a Pittsburgh Pirates hat on and jersey on. So uh, it almost feels like low-hanging fruit when – uh, a pirate scout goes in and they see a, a great international prospect in, uh, in the Latin American community, um, and they come in and they have a pirate shirt on. Um, you know, maybe they have a leg up. Maybe not. Maybe I'm making it up. Maybe I'm, you know, I'm certainly a baseball junkie and romanticize about baseball. It's, it's, it's got its hooks in me. Um, but I've actually thought about that. Um, does that give us an advantage? Uh, the Pirates organization an advantage when, you know, they're talking to international uh, prospects or international uh, prospects families? Maybe. Um, can't convince me that it doesn't. Um, but the, the scouting guys, I mean, those guys are, those guys are good. I've been fortunate to, to be doing some pregame postgame work, uh, when the draft has taken place the last couple of years, and I've been able to to sit and hang out with some of the scouts and kind of talk to those guys, um, there's those guys work their tails off, and they take a ton of pride in what they do for the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, and that's that's got to be a big piece of the puzzle for us: drafting, finding those international guys, um, and the international stuff is is governed by baseball now, so. You know, it's not always the team that can go out and just pay the most money. Um, you know, you got the pools and all that stuff, so that's helpful. Yeah. No, that's I know if, if I was a, a scouter or someone in the front office, I'd be like, hey, you know, you come sign with us, I'll let you hold Clemente's bat. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> we got the museum right down the road, lots of stuff to touch. Oh, might have lost him. Might you guys there? You guys yep. there? What here? We can hear you. My my dog barked and the thing went out. Did y'all hear him bark? No, I don't know what kind of dog you have, but that's a powerful bark. Yeah. Knock that out. That's all right. We're going to be wrapping up soon. I just wanted to ask one more question. So you mentioned with the draft. So we've got the number one pick coming up in a couple of months. Last week or last year, sorry, we had uh, KY announce the uh, Tamara Johnson pick. Any chance you're going to get to go one one with uh, calling the pick? Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. All right. If, if 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 they ask me to do it, I would love to do it. I think that would be so much fun. Let um, me know. I'll be texting you who to pick. Okay. But I but I think I think in the in the list of influential former Pittsburgh Pirates, I'm probably. Well down that list, I don't know if my number is the one that will be called to to do that. But I think it would be fun. I mean, I haven't talked to KY about his experience doing it last year. but He was all um, smiles with it, so I he usually is with that. But <laughs> It seems like a blast. But hopefully, hopefully we'll be seeing you on that stage come, what, July with that? Yep. Yep. All right. I'm in. If they ask me to do it, I'm in. It would be awesome. All right. We're- we're going to make the pitch for you. <laughs> we're, break, we're breaking news. Caps is calling 1-1. Perfect. 
we we need all the listeners. Come on, email yeah. email the pirates. Tell them who all you right. want. Well, that wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our guest, Matt Caps, for jumping on with us. You can follow Caps on Twitter at MattCaps55. Follow me at 412 Double Play, Ed at Ed underscore Wassel. Continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else podcasts are found. From all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks.